are listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Welcome to episode 23 of Footprints on Our Hearts, and I hope you're all having a gentle week. Mine has been a bit tough, actually, for various reasons. There are some weeks when I'm organised and feel productive, and then others when I look at my diary and think, how on earth have I got to Friday and not got anything ticked off? Um, And this week has definitely been one of those weeks. (laughs) And sometimes... When I feel like this, I wonder if putting out this podcast on a weekly basis is really worth the effort involved because it is a lot of work. And as much as I love it, there are times when I'm having a tough week emotionally and would much rather just head out in the evening for a long walk or curl up with a book. But when I was thinking about that earlier today, I went and had a peek at some of the reviews you lovely people have posted for the podcast. And I want to give a particular shout out to Alexa, who described it as a lifeline during lockdown after her daughter was stillborn on 14th of April this year during the COVID-19 lockdown. And, you know, I always said that if I could just reach 10 people with this podcast and help them feel less alone, then it would all be worth it. And it's reviews and messages like this that keep me going and keep me putting out this show week after week. And, you know, I'm a natural introvert. So (laughs) reaching out to potential guests and asking them if they'd like to come on the podcast doesn't come easily for me. I kind of have to psych myself up a bit each time. I don't know, do some sumo dance or something (laughs) to prepare myself for it but I find it really heartwarming to know that there are people listening who find it really helpful so Alexa this episode is for you and your little baby girl I also assumed that most of my listeners were UK based um but I did also go on my podcast uh hosting platform and actually had a look at where Uh, which countries the podcast has been downloaded in, um, which was actually super exciting because it has been downloaded in over 18 countries. The United States, Ireland and Australia are up there at the top after the UK. But I'm also excited to have listeners in countries as far away as Argentina, India and even the Cayman Islands. So hello to all my non-UK listeners who are listening to this and I would love to hear from you and hear how you found the podcast and where you're from and what your story is. It's definitely one of my ambitions to reach more people across the world with these stories because let's face it, baby loss doesn't really respect geographical boundaries, does it? And I think this also really resonated and became important to me after I interviewed today's guest, Crystal Gale, who lives in Jamaica. And talking to her made me really realise that while there's a fairly established baby loss community in the UK, the US and perhaps a few other countries, there are many, many other countries in the world which don't have any kind of support network for bereaved parents. And if you're listening from one of those countries, 
experiencing baby loss and the grief that follows it must be even more lonely than it is here. We often talk about it as the club that no one wants to join, but a club implies a community of people who can support each other. But first, to get that, you have to find each other. And how do you do that when there's no network to help connect you? And this is what Crystal Gale has started in Jamaica. There was no community, so she created one. There was little recognition of pregnancy and infant loss, so she campaigned for change. Her community is small, but it will grow. And we talk in the podcast about it being like pushing a cart uphill and you just you just have to keep going one step at a time and, and slowly the wheels begin to turn and things begin to change. Through the wonders of the internet, we can now find people like us who've been through things like us in other countries, but that's still not the same as standing face-to-face with someone from your own country and culture and knowing that they know what you've been through and you know they understand, they get you. So I hope you enjoy listening to Crystal Gale's story of her son, Damani, and I hope it inspires some of you to believe that change is possible wherever you are. Today, I'm honoured to be joined on the podcast by Crystal Gale Williams, who is my first Jamaican guest on the show, but hopefully not the last. Welcome to the podcast. And could you start by briefly introducing yourself and your family? Thanks for having me, Alison. I'm so glad to be here to share more about um, the baby loss community in Jamaica. So I founded For The Money in 2018, late 2018, around October. Um, after experiencing a loss myself, I was six months pregnant and I developed severe preeclampsia and health syndrome. And um, when I went to the doctor the first time, they didn't see any of the signs. So I was sent back home. And two days later, I was back at the hospital, back at the doctor. And this time, my there was protein in my urine and my blood pressure was very high. So she instructed us to go straight to the hospital. So my husband and I went to the hospital and they immediately placed me on the labor and delivery ward. And that's when they confirmed that I had severe pre-ham. So um, it was a really tough time. Um, but to, but by the following day, they told me that I had to go into delivery because the placenta was basically killing me and they would have to choose to save me. So I delivered the baby the following day, and in two days, the man passed away. So I liked, we're going to spend a bit more time kind of going into that story, because I'd, I'd really like to talk about your experience of that a bit more. And Damani is your first child. So yeah. I just, before we get into the details, um, what could you just give us an overview I guess of how baby loss is treated in Jamaica and whether you had any experience or knowledge of loss before you got pregnant with your son okay so before 2018 I think I just knew about one person who had experienced a miscarriage um a friend of mine and um other than that I don't think I've ever really come across baby loss in Jamaica in any way you know, at least not in my circle. So it wasn't really something that you would see or hear about before. 
And that's what really bothered me because in 2018, after I lost the money, I realized all these people that I didn't even know experienced a miscarriage or their baby died, you know, were coming up to me and telling me that they know what I'm feeling because I went through it too. And I was just so shocked, you know, because I'm like, how is it that we don't hear about these stories? You know, like nobody doesn't share these stories. So everybody who is going through it feel like they're alone because when it first happened to me, I remember how alone I felt and I felt like I was damaged because this isn't something that seems normal because I don't hear anybody talking about it. So this can't be normal. And the more I started the baby loss community in Jamaica, the more I realized how many persons experienced the same thing. You know, everybody had these similar stories and we could relate to each other. And I just feel like I don't want anyone to feel alone the way I felt when I experienced Damani's death. And so that was the reason why I decided to start for Damani because it is a really lonely place in the baby loss community in itself. And I don't think anybody should go through that. And I think, well, I think everyone listening to this podcast can relate to that. You know, I think even if you do have support, it's still, you know, it's still a journey that, you know, you kind of walk through a bit on your on your own and, and, you know, you have to take that weight on your shoulders. But going back to the beginning, how was your journey to get pregnant with Damani and how did your pregnancy go to begin with? The journey to getting pregnant was really smooth. <laughs> it was it was probably too smooth, I honestly thought. <laughs> like, we literally got pregnant in the first month of trying. So I was like, wow, you know, this is easy. <laughs> and going through pregnancy, um, it wasn't really bad because I was always, we were always worried because I have scoliosis. So we were worried about any pain that I would have, any back pains, you know, and so forth. I did develop sciatica, but it wasn't severe. And I was exercising and doing yoga, and that really helped. So for the most part, I basically had a textbook pregnancy. I didn't have any nausea. You know, I ate fine. You know, I was eating healthy. Everything was just going great. All of my checkups were fine. Everything was just going amazing. So I never expected, you know, anything to happen because... I remember that I was so scared of telling persons that I was pregnant because everyone always says you can have a miscarriage before 12 weeks. And, you know, so after 12 weeks, the safe zone, you're, you're out of the, you know, you're, you're out of the, the danger zone, you know, you're now in the safe zone. So I was like, okay, you know, not expecting anything to go wrong, you know? So it really caught me by surprise because I saw the word preeclampsia, but I didn't really read on it. Um, my doctors told me about it before, but I didn't really read anything on it. So it was just, it just really caught me by surprise. I, I must say it really caught me by surprise. Mm. And uh, yeah, again, I can, I can relate to that. We didn't even tell our parents that we were expecting until after 12 weeks until <laughs> we had that. Cause I was so paranoid about miscarriage, but like you, I was like, well, after that, it's kind of plain sailing, right? You've got the all clear. And did you find out that he was gonna that you were expecting a boy? Yes. So I actually, from I was pregnant, we were hoping it would be a boy, um, because my husband's best friend died um, the year before, 
So we were actually thinking of naming the boy Damani in his honor. So I don't know, but throughout the pregnancy, I kept calling him DJ. Um, you know, because that was his, the nickname that we had for him. So we just kept calling him DJ. And then when I did my anatomy scan at 20 weeks, we found out it was a boy. We had a gender reveal and everything oh. <laughs> <laughs> to, to confirm that it was a boy. We were like, we told you all, we told you all it was a boy. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> we were just so confident that it was a boy. So I already knew that it was a boy, you know, but the scan confirmed that. Oh, fantastic. So you've got through, you've got past that 20 week scan, which is usually when if there's any problems or anything with the pregnancy that comes up, and you're super excited about, you know, your little boy and him coming into the world in a few months. So could you talk us through when things began to go wrong? And when you were admitted to hospital with those symptoms of preeclampsia? Okay, so um in august i think around the 20 something i don't remember the exact date I actually just, just did a video about this <laughs> but um in august i think around the 25th i went to la for a conference and i said i would also use the time to do a little shopping you know to get some baby stuff out of the way so i went to la and i came back around the 31st of august to, back to jamaica and um, the following day, the Saturday, when I woke up, I realized one of my fingers, one of my thumb was swollen, but um, I was sleeping on the hand, which normally happens to me. So I figured nothing was, that was fine because it went down shortly after I woke up. Um, but the Sunday, the Sunday following that, um, I think that, was, that would have been the first or the second of, second of September. Yes, the second um, my hubby went out with some friends and I was feeling all alone. And then, you know, I went into the fridge and I saw the wine. I was like, maybe I can just take one little sip <laughs> because I love wine. I'm a wine drinker. I really love wine. And um, so I took a sip of wine, you know, and I was there talking to the man in the belly, you know, because I always felt him kick, but I've never seen my belly move when he kicked. So I said, you know, I want you to let my belly move. So I was doing it, you know, filming it, hoping that he would, you know, let my belly move. And it did happen. For some reason, I cannot find the video anywhere. I don't know where the video has disappeared to. It's so heartbreaking. But he, my belly did move. So I told my husband about it. And shortly after he came home and, um, you know, I was telling him how excited I was. And then this was around midnight. It would have been the Monday on the third, I realized that I was having um, a belly ache. So I start, we started blaming it on the wine. <laughs> that little sip. <laughs> yes. So he was like, he was like, why did you, why did you, um, you know, why did you drink the wine? And I was just telling him that, I don't know why I drink, I drank it. I was just really, you know, I was just feeling for some wine and I drank it. <laughs> but so I thought it was a wine and it wasn't really bad pain. So um, I, I tried to go to sleep, but I couldn't go to sleep because the pain was like it was getting more intense. So I spoke to my doula and she was saying that it could be dehydration because of the traveling, you know. 
and being pregnant, you know, you know, when you're traveling, but you don't realize you're doing certain things, you know, so it could be dehydration. So I just started drinking a lot of fluids and, you know, just hoping it would get better. But um, it did get a little better and I slept. However, I got up in the morning again and the pain was bad. And then I think I vomited once. I got some soup and I threw up the soup. So I was like, no, I don't like this feeling. So I messaged my colleagues. Uh, we have a little group and I messaged them. And I told them, you know, and their moms themselves. And they were like, you know, there's a stomach bug going around. It could be that's what's going on, but you should go to the doctor, you know, just to make sure everything is fine. You know, and then because I traveled, you know, could have picked up anything. So I went to the doctor and um, I went to my GP, not to the hospital. I went to a private doctor and they did um, the urine test, you know, testing my blood pressure and everything. And everything seemed fine. So they were like, they're not sure what's wrong. Maybe it is, maybe it is a stomach bug or maybe it's the, the baby is sitting on one of your ligaments. So she told me to go and do an ultrasound. Um, just to rule out anything. Um, but by that time, it was feeling a little bit better. And when I went to do the ultrasound, I was sitting down in the lobby waiting for about a good while. And they said the doctor wouldn't be there until around the next hour. And I didn't want to wait, to be honest. And because the pain got so, that got, um, you know, got so less, I said, let's just go home. And if it's back, then we can just go back. So I went home. I was fine. Stepped through the night. Um, everything was fine. The following day came, I had no pain. I had a nap that evening and then I woke up in pain. So that's when it started happening again. And it was so severe, you know, we, were, we didn't know what's going on, you know. And I was wondering, maybe it's the ligaments thing because like we don't know what else is there. Um, by the following morning, I kept vomiting. Everything I ate, I vomited. So I was like, we need to go to back to the doctor. So before I went to the doctor, I went to the scan. And the doctor performing the scan said the baby was on one of my ligaments. So she's saying that that probably is what's causing the pain. But she says he's 100% fine. Everything is perfect. All of your organs look great. Whatever, you know, all of that doctor stuff. So I was like, okay, that's good news, but why am I still having this pain? And she's like, you know, maybe because he's on the ligament, so maybe just need, he just need lots of rest and fluids, and hopefully he'll move soon. So I went to my doctor, my GP, with the results from the ultrasound, because I told her I'm still having this pain. It's not going away. Um, You know, I don't know what's going on. And she did the urine test again and the blood pressure and then she came back to me with a look on her face and she's like, you need to go to the hospital now. So I said, what's going on? And she says, your blood pressure is very high and we found protein in your urine. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I did not know what that meant. But I don't know, maybe she didn't want to scare me. She just said, you need to go to the hospital right now. She said, don't go home, just go straight to the hospital. So that's what we did. We went straight to the hospital. I went to A&E. And when I saw the nurse, she says, you need to go straight to labor and deliver because you're you're over six months. Uh, I was 24 weeks and a couple of days that time. Um, so I went up there. They drew my blood and the doctor said, you have severe preeclampsia. And I was like, did you know what that meant? At no, that I, mean, point? I, knew, I knew the name and I knew that it only had to do with a high blood pressure. 
I didn't know it had anything to do with all those other stuff because during my pregnancy, people kept telling me, you know, be careful what you read. Don't read a lot of sad stuff and don't read too much because it's going to make you worry. And all of those, you know, all of those, you know, sayings that they love to say. So I was like, I didn't really know anything other than the fact that it comes in high blood pressure. So it's, you know, when I got admitted at the hospital and they kept, they, they started telling me, you know, that the preeclampsia, you know, I also developed help and that it was affecting my liver platelets and my blood platelets and my, my liver enzymes and all of those stuff. I was like, what, 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 what the hell did I get this? Like, where is this coming from? You know, I was just trying to think, what did I do wrong? Did I eat something to cause it? Like what happened? And, you know, I just kept blaming myself. I just kept blaming myself. And, you know, we're just trying to pray and hope for the best. And in the morning, the following morning on the 6th, she came to me, the doctor came to me, the same doctor. And she said that my, my blood, my results came back and they were improving, you know, my platelets and stuff, my enzymes were going up, so they're improving. So I was like, okay, that's good. Um, I guess I don't have to deliver today then. And she was like, she's not sure. Um, so I was just, you know, hoping for the best. But then a team of doctors came and I, that had, I think that had the lead doctor there, the lead OBGYN. And she said that um, my platelets and my enzymes were bad. So I said, but the doctor said it's improving. She said, yes, but it's still bad. And if you don't give birth soon, you're both going to die. So at this point, my husband and I were just crying and he was just crying and this was so hard. But I was like, I thought I was getting better. And she said, no, you're not. And we have to deliver today. We're going to have to perform an emergency C-section. And, you know, she was talking about all the risk of the C-section and all those things and telling me, telling us that if during surgery I am bleeding out, they'll have to take out my uterus, which at this point we just lost it because here we are with this child that we don't even know if he's going to live or not. And they're telling us that we, I might not be able to have another child after this. It was just a lot to manage, you know. And we asked them what was the survival rate for a baby being born this young. And they said a 40% chance. And at that time, I just lost all hope. I just never thought 40% would, was good enough. You know, my husband just tried to keep me calm and said that was great. You know, it's still a, it's still a chance. And then the pediatrician came to see us and she told us, basically a million and one things that could go wrong with the baby. Um, Gosh, that is so, so much. And, you know, you must have been completely in shock from having, you know, from going from a perfect pregnancy to being told that you might die, your baby might die. And, and having to go into surgery, and I think you went in, you had to have a general anesthetic, which is a, you know, super scary as it is. And I guess what what did you, what were your thoughts those moments before before you you sort of went to sleep I guess or you went into surgery? Um, well, my family tried to calm me down as much as possible. I was just trying to think positive, you know, hold on to my faith. And um, even though the doctor said there are so many things that could go wrong, I let them play my favorite song, which is oceans by his song and that's a song that I fell asleep to 
for my surgery, you know, and I think it really calmed me down. Um, I just remember waking up all groggy, and the first thing I asked for was, where is my baby? <laughs> That's the first thing I asked for, where was my baby? Um, my husband wasn't at the hospital at the time that I did the C-section, but my mommy was there, and she said she saw the baby. Um, he wasn't crying when he just came out of the womb, and they rushed him straight for the NICU, so nobody really got to see him. Um, I wasn't able to see him um, because I said I just did surgery, and the fact that my blood pressure was also high, they were not risking it. So I did not get to see him. It was, it was terrible. It was a terrible experience. That must have been absolutely heartbreaking and you must have felt so helpless just kind of lying there unable to unable to do anything to help him and able to even kind of see your little boy was your husband able to go and see him and your mom yes so my mother I don't think she saw him after he was born um my husband saw him the first night when he was born he took a photo of me um of him for me um, he was talking to the doctor and I guess Damani heard his voice and he looked up at him with his big eyes oh. and he started kicking. <laughs> you know, I can't forget, like, I keep picturing that every time I see it, like, just picturing kicking and smiling with his eyes at his daddy. And I wish I got to saw that side of him. Um, but that's the only photo that we have of him because... We weren't able to take, we didn't take any more pictures. It was really a nightmare getting to see him in the NICU. Um, my husband said every time he went, it was one issue after the other because they kept changing doctors. Um, and if another parent is in there with their baby, then they won't allow you to go in at certain times. If they're working on a baby, you can't go in there. So it was just chaotic. It was hell. Um you know, it was just really scary. And I didn't get to see him until the day he died. I guess they realized he was taking a turn for the worst and they thought that I needed to see him. So, yeah. And that was two days after he was born, I think. Yeah. 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 So what, when you finally did get to see him, what, what did you feel at that point? When I was rushing to see him in the wheelchair and they were pushing me, I was so excited, you know, I was really excited and I was just looking forward to seeing him because they just told me that, you know, they would take me to see my baby. They didn't say anything else. Um, but when I reached there and I saw him in the incubator and I saw them, you know, puffing his chest with their finger because he was just so fragile yeah, and he was so tiny. I I lost it. I really lost it. I I didn't expect to see him like that. Um, you know, when you see the picture, they look so big. And then seeing him in person, it was like, I never expected to see him so tiny. And I froze. I actually froze. I couldn't speak to him. All I did was cry. I just cried and I cried and I cried and I, I just... I, I was just wondering, what did I do to my baby? Like, why is he suffering? You know, and they said he had to get around three or four blood transfusions. Um, and that his heart had stopped. 
and um, his heartbeat wasn't high. So I should call my husband for him to come because they're not sure how long he, how much more longer he would live for. And he was, I mean, so he was sort of 24 plus, I guess, well, under 25 weeks anyway, and so, so tiny. And actually the photo you have of him, I've seen it on your website and he's swaddled up and he looks so cute. (laughs) His blanket, you know, it's, I mean, because my daughter was born at 26 weeks, so not long after. And I thought I had prepared myself for what she might look at like and I hadn't at all and I found it so so hard and I think you have this dream don't you of this the baby you're going to have and the baby you're going to bring home and the baby you're going to hold in your arms and yeah and it's hard it's really hard yeah I I actually thought he would have lived to be honest when I, he made it to the first night yeah. um i thought he would have lived um because they were holding off on giving him the surfactant because he was so small and they said that they want to give him because he seemed to have been breathing on his own fine and if they give him at the wrong time it can be more de- harm than good so mm-hmm. he didn't get it as yet i'm not even sure if he got it to be honest um but they said that he was just not breathing fine and ventilator was was ventilator was doing all the work, but it was like, you know, you still have to be doing some of the work. And to be honest, we don't have a lot of resources here, you know, to deal with babies born that young. So that really is another challenge in of itself. Um, when my husband came, he asked me if I talked to him and I said, no, I couldn't say anything to him. Um, cause I was just so, it was like, I was frozen. I was just so numb. In shock. I was, yeah, I was in shock. And he told me to speak to him and told me to tell him. He, he was trying to tell him to fight, you know, to, to live, you know? And so I spoke to him and, you know, I said, you know, to fight for mommy, you know, and he opened up his eyes and he looked at me. <sighs> Oh, wow. And I swear I cannot forget that look because it was such a contrast from what my husband described his eyes. You know, they weren't happy anymore. They were just filled with hurt and pain and like he was tired. And I felt so guilty and I felt so bad, Um, you know, because I'm telling him to fight and he seems to be in so much pain and I just couldn't do it. I just walked out. I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So I just went outside of the NICU and I sat down and I started to pray. And I told God that I don't want to lose my baby. I want him to live. But if he's in pain and he can't make it, then it's okay. And a little bit after that, they called us and told us that he was gone. Because they said that if they put him back on the ventilator and nothing happened, if his heart stops again, they won't restart his heart. Because if they do again, it will mean permanent damage. You'll have all sorts of, they listed out way too many things, cerebral palsy, um, 
it's collapsed lungs, everything, like just everything. So they said if his heart stopped again, they would not be restarted. So they put it back on the ventilator and his heart stopped. So that was that. They called us in and I blacked out, you know, I... I, I was just frozen. I couldn't move. I, all I did was just cry. <laughs> and they asked us if we wanted to hold him. And at first, I didn't respond. I was saying no. And then I changed my mind, and I'm glad I did. And I said, yes, we wanted to hold him. So they wrapped him up in a blanket, and they gave us to him. they gave him to us to hold. And we held him, and we cried. You know, we cried. Um, uh, I really wish that we, somebody reminded us or asked us if we wanted to take any photos because I would have so loved to have photos of that moment. I would have loved to have photos of his tiny feet, his hands, his hair. I just wish I, I don't remember what his body looks like. I mean, I remember, but I I wish I had pictures just to be reminded every day of what, you know, that looks like. I just remember is the warmth of his skin and the smoothness, you know. Um, but I wish I had more time with him saying goodbye, you know. That wasn't easy. And my... So my personal experience and I guess knowledge of what happens or what support you're given after your baby's died is obviously based on what we have here in the UK. And I guess to give you a bit of context on that, experiences vary a lot, obviously, from hospital to hospital. But many hospitals have a special bereavement suite where you can stay for, you know, even a couple of days if you want to spend time with your baby. They have cold cots to put the babies in to keep them cool so you can spend time with them without the the bodies deteriorating. You can take handprints, footprints. And we were given a memory box at the hospital um, after we lost Skye, which had two teddies in. So one was in the cot with her and we had one to keep. And hospitals also often have a bereavement midwife who kind of help you through or their job is to, to talk, help you through, show you different avenues of support and to talk about things like funeral arrangements. Did I, I have no idea what, if anything, you get in Jamaica, what you got from the hospital or, you know, your your midwife or your doula or anything? So when Damani died, they asked us if we wanted to call anyone um, for them to say goodbye to him. Um, his grandparents were able to come, but we had some close friends who, were, who, lived, who lived close by the hospital that, you know, could come. So they carried us to a room and they came to say goodbye. And um, after that, the nurse asked me if I wanted footprints um, and handprints. So I said, yes, definitely. Um, you know, yes. She told me that once they take the baby away up, now I wouldn't be able to see him for a while unless it was the mark. Um, but nobody mentioned photos and we weren't thinking about photographs at the time, you know. So I wish that was something that 
that would be instituted. I actually wanted to start that this year, but because of COVID-19, you know, it just kind of threw things off. But hopefully something can happen by next year, you know, to institute that where persons, you know, like the, the staff, like they literally ask you, do you want to photograph with your baby or off your baby? Like some hospitals will, but it's based on the staff that's there. It's not like it's something that's concretized. Like this is what you're supposed to do. Like there's no protocol in place of what happens when a baby dies. Nothing. There is no protocol in place. So there is no bereavement suite. There is no cut-a-cut. Um, you know, and we were lucky enough to get a room to say goodbye. All of different, all of the persons who I've spoken to, they, they were like, what? We, we didn't get that experience, you know? So um, I really hope things change in that aspect. Because I think it would make much of a difference, you know, that persons, when they lose their babies, they know that they have these options that are available to them and they can decide what they want to do. Um, in Jamaica, baby loss is very, very, very taboo. Um, I mean, I know it's taboo worldwide, but I think it's, I, I just think we, it's, it's really taboo here because as much as I hear it being spoken about overseas, like, I, I I didn't see anybody speaking about it before, really before me, you know. And there 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 was another there's a baby loss group that existed, but it was it's basically dormant. Like there's no activity. It's just a group that was created by a mom group, but it's just there, you know. So there there is nothing. There was nothing active going on before, and I find it so strange. But then I realized it's because of how society is in the sense where if you cannot produce a child, you're seen as a mule and they literally call you a mule. Um, they run jokes that you're a mule or that you're a walking cemetery. And I'm not even joking. Um, and they run all these jokes about, you know, your body. And the first thing they ask you if your baby dies is what did you do? Or what happened? We know, like, they, the first thing they do is try to blame the mother. So I think that's the reason why a lot of persons don't want to talk about it, because they don't want to be blamed, because they themselves already blame themselves for it happening. So you don't want anyone else to blame you. And I think it's that guilt and that shame. That's why it's so taboo here. Um, so it is our culture. I mean, people might talk about it. They might share their story if they see um, something, you know, like shared or something, but they won't go out of their way um, to try to share their story with others. Um, not realizing that um, sharing your story actually um, basically open up an avenue for other women to heal and yourself healing as well, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's incredibly shocking and the trouble is is that you know whatever your experience of baby loss part of you always blames yourself you know you always have that guilt and shame and to have that reinforced by other people and by kind of society's view of you is must be so damaging um and hurtful for the long term and I think I just for the 
benefit of my UK listeners, I want to give a couple of statistics here that I found. And please do correct me if these are out of date or incorrect. But from what I researched in Jamaica, nearly 16 babies out of every thousand births were stillborn. And that's compared to five out of every thousand in the UK. And again, in terms of neonatal deaths, 20 babies die out of 1,000 before they're 28 days old, compared to just 2.8 in the UK. So this is affecting a lot of women. You know, that's that's a high proportion of women who are having to, you know, go through this alone without perhaps having those people that they need to confide in. So I just want to move on to sort of your experience and grief of grief and what what was your experience of grief in those early weeks and early months? And did you get much support either from friends or family or from, I guess, professional sources, perhaps not given what you've said? Uh, at the hospital, my doctor, my doctor who I saw throughout my pregnancy, he came to see me after the baby died and he shared his own experience with me. And he asked me if the hospital grief counselor came to visit me which they didn't. So I had to get, um, you know, an external one. So um, where I work, my company has a psychologist on staff. So that's who I've been seeing for, you know, most of the experience. Um, So he was basically, that's the person who I've basically been getting grief counseling from. My husband attended a few sessions, but... Um, he doesn't really like to attend counseling, you know, and that's that's another big problem as well. You know, um, men grieve differently, so I'm just trying to not. Um, I was told I shouldn't force him; he should be on his own time, in his own time. So, yeah, but we speak about it, um, you know, just to get it off our minds and stuff. Um, but the support, uh, my mom has been a good support system. For, yeah, my mom has been a good support system and my husband. Um, they're probably in my early stages, other than my mom and my husband and the counselor. My doula was also a great support system. She reached out to persons who she knew because she also does prenatal yoga. And she know person, knew persons who lost their babies. And, you know, she connected us. And so she really provided support and those persons as well. Um my friends um not really i mean i feel like after so a few of my friends came to visit me in the hospital you know and there were a few that would check in with me from time to time but um there are certain people who i expected more from you know and you know during that time when they didn't really basically do what I thought I needed them to do. Um, it really upset me and I didn't think that it was in my right or that or my responsibility to responsibility to be telling them how to support their grieving friend. Um, so I basically just tried to cling to the support I got and whoever didn't really support me then I just, you know, just just let it go. I was really upset about it. I had, I, I was for a while. And when I started for the money, I started, I, I shared articles with them and I shared articles about certain things. 
But, you know, there are certain things that I still didn't see or, or still haven't seen taking place, you know. And I don't know if it's because of the culture or how taboo, you know, baby loss is. But, like, even just some things where you say, like, you know, like, I guess nobody's perfect. But, like, there are some things where I say I want my baby's name to be remembered. I want his birthday to be remembered, you know. And, there, are, you know, there are some people that might remember his birthday, yet they don't really offer much support and there are some people offer support but like I feel like they they think that if they tell me happy birthday they're hurting me more than you know they want to hurt me but I try to tell them it's okay but I don't know I don't know what's not registering um so I've just decided to basically let that go and just accept that persons may not meet you where you want them to meet you you know and you just have to take what you can you know, what you can get and just support, find the support where you can. And so I'm glad that I have a support group um, for For The Money mm-hmm. where we can support each other because nobody really gets it. You know, like how we get it. You know, nobody truly understands mm-hmm. like how we understand. But at the same time, we would love for our families and those closest to us to understand is even if you don't understand we just want you to acknowledge it's not about pity we just want you to acknowledge that our babies existed you know that they're real and that you don't have to say much because i mean there was someone who there are some people who gave me keepsakes for the money and i never expected that from them but then there are other persons i'm like how come you're not you're not you know doing this and you know, they don't even know what's that like, what, what that's like, but it's uh, they're reaching out and they're, you know, giving these keepsakes. And it was just, you know, it's just so weird how support is, you know, and I never expected it to be like that. I honestly thought that I would have gotten more support, you know, because I realized that when someone says, if you need me for anything, let me know. Um, nobody really, nobody came to visit, like, at the house. Like, like, you know, after a baby is born, persons want to visit. They want to, they, they want to volunteer to babysit or, you know, to, to, you know, to cook you food or bring you food. But then when we came home with no baby, nobody offered, you know, I think other than my, my mom or whoever, nobody really offered to take me any, take us any food or, you know, come to look at, look, you know, to spend some time with us, to see how we were doing. Nobody really did any of that, you know. And when you tell somebody to let me know if you need anything, when you're grieving, you're not going to reach out, you know, and tell them that I need something. Like, you need to suggest, you know, you need to act to, to do, to tell, you know, let me bring you food. Can I take you food? Or can I can I bring this this card or something, you know, do something, just do something, you know, and I feel like we have Google and we have all these resources and everything on the internet and people don't take the time out to, to, to educate themselves on these stuff. But it's, as I said, it's weird and I'm still kind of weirded out about the fact that it's so hard to get support for grieving parents when the internet is there and there are so many resources out there that can basically tell people what to do.
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think part of it is, and yeah, I think we're just terrible at talking about grief and stuff. And it's just been such an uncomfortable topic for so, you know, for so many decades. It's like built into our DNA that we kind of, this is not something you talk about. And trying to change that is, gosh, I don't know, I can't come up with a proper metaphor, but (laughs) it's just such a slow process anyway. But you have been a real voice for the baby loss community in Jamaica. When did you first start to think about speaking out about your experience and started to create this online community? So when I realized how limited my support system was, I started googling about pregnancy and infant loss. And then I realized there was a whole month dedicated to it overseas. And I just started, you know, browsing all these different things. And then um, I got on Instagram, found all of these mommies, and I realized there was a baby loss community. Um, I think the first person I think I found was Rachel Wallen in um, USA. And I think I found, yeah, and Amanda as well. I'm trying to remember how many other persons I found. But I just keep, you know, I just kept, you know, finding all these people and realizing how baby loss was being talked about in USA, UK, Canada, you know, other parts of the world, but mostly in these three, you know, countries. And funny enough, that's where um, our largest um, population of Jamaicans, you know, overseas are those three countries. You know, I said, why doesn't Jamaica have a baby loss community? <laughs> like, why don't we have anything? There's nothing in the Caribbean what's what's going on you know and i said i want that for jamaica i want this for jamaica i want us to break the silence and um i spoke with april i think april love and she was giving me some tips about starting a baby loss community so i just started she said just go ahead and start and it was just you know it was just it was just built from that so um, it's actually April Boyd. I think it's April Boyd. I'm looking for her name. I'm bad with names. Yes, April Boyd. So I had a conversation with her and she just talked, she just told me to go ahead and start. Mm-hmm. So I created my Instagram. I created the Facebook. And I just started. I shared my story. And as I shared my story, persons kept reaching out to me. And it was just an amazing feeling you know, to see that, you know, there are so many other persons out there that can bond, you know, together in the same space, you know, in Jamaica. And so I created the private WhatsApp group and it's just been our space ever since. You know, we have, it's, we have really become, I, I call us a mamahood. You know, it's like a sisterhood for angel mommies. You know, it's just, it's it's been great. And we've, we've just really bonded. We're basically all sisters people. We have meetups, you know, we have virtual meetups now that, you know, COVID-19, you know, and we remember our baby's birthdays and we're just there for each other. And when persons comment that, you know, being, finding this space was the best thing that ever happened to them, it just makes me feel inspired and encouraged to do what I do because there are some times that I want to just give up. And I just feel like, are we really reaching anywhere? You know, are we are we reaching people? You know, are we getting people to heal and you know to 
you know, just, you know, get to that space where they know that they are comfortable, that they can, you know, speak about what they're going through and just heal, you know, keep healing. And um, someone said to me that it, even if you reach one person, that's good enough. Just keep going, you know, just keep going. Um, so that's why I created For The Money. And in 2019, I said I would start um, the process of getting Jamaica to recognize Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. And that's what I did. I wrote to the governor general for him to make a proclamation. And I kept following up. I did a proclamation in February and I kept following up throughout the year. And it didn't get approved until October. And I was like, oh, <laughs> just in time. <laughs> it got approved. I remember when I was told I was on the plane. I was on a flight to Florida. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, my God, because I had planned all these events for the month. I had a yoga class. I We were participating in a run. We had a paint and sip, you know, a wave of light event. So it was just crazy. And, you know, um, newspapers started reaching out to us um, and they um, so we had stories in the newspapers. Um, I had an interview. I had, I had interviews on, you know, a radio program on the TV and for a wave of light. Um, it was just the, the Costas came and she herself seemed to have went through, you know, a baby loss. And it was just such a wonderful feeling, like just to see everything manifest itself. It was just so amazing. And I was like... Damani, this is all for you. You did this, you know, and I just feel it's like it's such a beautiful way to honor his memory um, for him to basically live on. Like you'll always hear that name, you know, and it just gives me strength to keep going, you know, just to hear um, all of those stories and knowing that no matter how much time passes that you don't truly fully heal because at the wave of light, there was a mommy there and um, we, each person went up to say their baby's name and how old they are. And a mommy said her baby was 35, would be 35 this year. And I was like, wow, she's been grieving for 35 years. And people are telling us that time heals all wounds and we need to go out there and try again and get pregnant again and, you know, forget about our babies. And they don't even realize how damaging that is because you never truly forget your children. You never truly forget your child because you love your child. As long as you love, you'll always grieve. And that's just the, that's just the truth. That's, that's just how it is. Yeah. And I think you've created, I mean, you have created an amazing legacy for Damani and, you know, all these but these kind of extra things, these things we have in the UK, the support charities, the charities who give memory boxes and, you know, remember my baby who go in and take photos. They were all started by people who had lost babies and wanted to make a difference. And you know, I can see you starting that wave and I'm sure you will inspire other women in Jamaica to, you know, develop their own initiatives and celebrate their baby's lives in their, in their own way and, and yeah, it feels it feels like you're kind of moving this massive cart <laughs> up a hill, doesn't it? <laughs> but as you say, once one step at a time, what you've already done is amazing. And I'm sure 
you have a long way to go to this. I do because I really want I really want Jamaica to um to be a safer place for women um you know to give birth. You know, I want to be a safer place for babies to be born. You know, I want them to survive. I so and I want them to be remembered even if they don't survive. So I really hope I do inspire persons, as you said, you know, remember my baby, all those things were started by people who lost their babies. I would love if we had those things out here. I mean, I'm not creative. I can't make a memory box, you know, Um, or take photos. Other people can. So it would be great if out of Florida money, persons were inspired, you know, by, and they have these skills where they can tap, that they can tap into to help other grieving parents, you know, and create a memory box or, take photos of, you know, of babies and their parents after they've passed. So I really hope that can happen. You know, maybe we can get a color cut um, at a hospital or bereavement suite. Who knows? I mean, we have a long way to go, but I hope we do get to it. As you know, you said, you know, pushing a cart up on a hill. (laughs) But, But I hope we get onto that hill. I really hope we do because I think it's so important. And I think it would make a world of difference because I'm sure this is a similarity that every parent shares that we want our child to be acknowledged. We want them to be remembered. And we don't want, you know, to feel ashamed of what happened. So I think all of these things would make a difference in changing that narrative around grief and baby loss. Mm, completely and I'm so grateful for you taking the time to come onto the podcast and to share Damani's story and the amazing work you're doing um could you finish by telling everyone where they can find you online and connect with you so for Damani is on Instagram Facebook and Twitter at for Damani the numeral for Damani um so that's where you can find me and all of my details are there on my Instagram, the link to basically, you know, all the different blogs or the interviews, how to contact us. It's all there on Instagram as well as on Facebook. So you can reach out to me anytime you want and I'll be, I'll answer as soon as I can. <laughs> I will put all those links in the show notes um, so you can, so people can find you and connect with you. Thank and thank you. you so much for joining me, Crystal Girl. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you for having me. I feel such a tremendous, um, you know, excitement when I get to speak about For the Money. As much as it is bittersweet speaking about his story, I love to share his story because... I love that it can inspire people. And so I'm always glad to share my story. So it gets heard around the world. That's amazing. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com.